During the season of Lent, we will be doing a sermon series called Luke with Lent, where each Sunday we will visit a different story from the Gospel of Luke and consider the ways that it shapes and directs us on our own journey with Jesus towards Palm Sunday, towards the cross of Good Friday, and eventually to the good news of Easter morning. And so on this first Sunday in Lent, we begin our journey where Jesus began his. Immediately after his baptism, the very first thing that happens to Jesus is that he is led into the wilderness. So friends, let us listen once more for God's word here in these verses from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led Jesus up to a a high place, and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, the devil said to him, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we come to you as a wilderness people. We come to you as people who are parched for a sip of good news. Oh God, just as your spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, through the wilderness, we pray that your spirit might be present now. That through the words of my mouth and through the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here, you might speak a fresh word. And that that word might be glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you all ever heard the term non-anxious presence? 
It's a term that was pioneered by a Jewish rabbi in Bethesda, Maryland, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. He was, he was interested in, in congregational leadership, what made for a, a healthy congregation. And a lot of his work around non-anxious presence had contributed to this, this larger field that's known as family systems theory. And the, the basic idea is that healthy systems, healthy organizations, be it a church or a business or a family, an actual family or, or a city or a state or a nation, the healthy system is dependent on having a leader who is not anxious. Who fundamentally believes that everything will be okay. And that then behaves and leads from that fundamental belief. I've, I've heard the image used sometimes of a circuit breaker. That a non-anxious leader is like the circuit breaker in an organization. You can be in a room that's full of worry and anger and stress and and that non-anxious presence is the one who can turn it off. The one who can take that anxiety and stress and not let it go any further. The thing about non-anxious presence though that Friedman was very clear about was that it's, it's not something that you can go to a weekend workshop and learn. It's not something that you can take a book down off the shelf and, and sort of get the, the gist of it. To be and to, to maintain a non-anxious presence requires what Friedman called self-knowledge. It requires you, in other words, to know who you are. That's the power for me in this this story on the first Sunday of Lent. Jesus in this story, he knows who he is. Right? There's a bunch of themes in this story. There's, There's this theme of wilderness, something that we can all relate to. Perhaps some here even today feel as if they are adrift in a wilderness period in their life. There's this theme of the temptation, and we all know temptation in one way or another. There's also sort of this borderline humorous undercurrent of two people who just know their Bible really well, right? But the thing that stands out to me more than anything in this story is that it is a story about trusting and living our identity. One of the great civil rights leaders of the 20th century and theologians, an African-American pastor named Howard Thurman, once gave the commencement address at Spelman College. And in that address, he spoke these words. He said, There is something in every one of you, something in every one of you that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. It is the only true guide, he said, that sound of the genuine is the only true guide that you will ever have. 
And if you cannot hear it, you will all of your life spend your days on the ends of strings that someone else pulls. There is the sound of the genuine in each of us, but if we cannot hear it, we will spend our days on the ends of the strings that someone else pulls. I think a lot of us, certainly a lot of us in our world, but but particularly a lot of us in our nation, a lot of us here today, I think many of us are spending our days on the ends of strings that others are pulling. And what I mean by that is that I think many of us are and some have for a long time allowed ourselves to be defined by things that are ultimately secondary. We let our identities get all wrapped up in the the neighborhood that we live, or the kind of car that we drive, or the size of our house compared to our neighbor. We let the world sort of define us, judge us even, according to, to where we work, or if we work, or how hard we work, or who we work for. I think we we let our identities get wrapped up sometimes in our proximity to power. Did you all hear there was some power on the island this weekend, right? Did any of us feel more special than someone else because of our proximity to it? We let our identities get all wrapped up in the, the club or the clubs to which you belong or or the the person who you happen to love. Some of us parents here, we, we let our identities get all mixed up and intertwined with the successes or the perceived shortcomings of our children. Some of the younger people here, if not yet, will soon be living in, in this world of high school and college where, where the world wants to define you by the number that comes after the word GPA, right? Or the school that you got into, or the school you, you didn't get into. Some of us, we, we find our identities most clearly in the number of followers we have on social media, or the likes or the retweets we get. In this community in particular, I think some of us let our identities get wrapped up in the, the church we go to where the church someone we know goes to, oh, you go to that church. But there's also also something deeper. I think there's something beneath the surface that every single one of us, we, we let our identities get too mixed up with. We let the world, and sometimes we put it on ourselves, we, we define and identify ourselves by our mistakes, by our failures, by our, our shame, our inadequacies. I still remember like it was yesterday. I got sent to the principal's office one time in my life. I was that kid. 
fifth grade, we were having a big assembly in Ida Weller Elementary School, Centerville, Ohio. And my teacher, Miss Daker, she was one of these like Miss Frizzle types. She was sort of wacky and fun and, and all the fifth graders because we were the we were the big kids. We got to sit on the risers, and Miss Daker was down there helping some other teacher, and I was making faces at her while her back was turned. And Miss Peterman, the principal, Miss Peterman, she saw me from across the gym, and she made a beeline for me. And she pointed at me, and she said, Come down here. Go to my office. I still remember sitting outside that office. But you know what I remember? I remember feeling such shame. I deserved to be there, right? But in that moment, in that day, I don't know when it wore off, but I I felt like I was defined by that moment of shame for my actions. How many of us here are living that every single day. Living at the ends of those strings that other people are pulling. You see, that's exactly what is happening in this story of Jesus in the wilderness. The devil, the devil knows who Jesus is. He already knows that Jesus is the son of God, but what he's trying to do is is get Jesus to question that identity, if, if you are the Son of God. He's trying to get Jesus to to prove who he is. He thinks that he has Jesus on the ends of his strings. Bow down to me, he says. Turn this stone into bread. Throw yourself down from this pinnacle. Prove that you are worthy of that title, that you have been given. You see, I feel, I, I think rather, when, when we feel like we have to prove everything, prove that we are worthy of love, prove that we are worthy of that person or, or that success or that iota of joy in spite of all our mistakes, when we feel like we have to prove everything, then, then we are living at the ends of those strings. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't fall for it. Jesus in this story is the the prototype of a non-anxious presence. Jesus shows us a different way. You see, Jesus in this story, he has heard that sound that Thurman spoke of. Jesus has heard the sound of something genuine. That's the key here. You have to turn to the verses that immediately precede this story to to understand what I'm talking about. The last thing that happens before this wilderness experience is Jesus' baptism. And it's at that baptism that the heavens break open and a, a voice comes from above saying to him, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus knows who he is. It's the only way I know how to explain how he emerges from these 40 days, both physically and spiritually intact. 
It's the only way I know how to explain how he resists succumbing to that all-too-human lust for worldly power. We know that lust, don't we? It's the only way to explain how Jesus will make it through this journey we begin, this, this Lenten journey that will tell stories of, of stormy seas and of, of hungry people, tell stories of betrayal, the worst kind of betrayal, the betrayal of a friend, tell stories of a cross. The only way I know how to explain that Jesus gets through all of that is because he knows who he is. He knows that core truth. He is beloved. Mm. There was once a a mighty ship, a great ship, that found itself in peril out in the middle of a fierce storm in the middle of the ocean. In the engine room, the the men were being tossed back and forth, and, and with each pitch in the sea, they became more and more convinced that they would not make it through that night alive. One of the crew, he managed to make his way up to the to the bridge of the ship just to see if there was any chance of surviving. And several minutes later, he returned to his shipmates. And and though the seas had grown no less angry, he reported to them that they were going to be fine. How can you know that? His shipmates shouted back over the the noise and the, the tumult. The one who had been to the bridge said, I've been to the bridge, and I saw the captain's face, and he was smiling. He was smiling. Friends, when we know, when we really know who and whose we are, then we become people who can live life calmly, (laughs) who can live life confidently, who can live life non-anxiously, non-reactively. You see, if you ever need a litmus test for the opposite of a non-anxious person, you just have to find someone who is highly reactive, someone who amplifies the volume rather than switching it off. Someone with twitchy Twitter fingers. It's that friend on Facebook who, who, who just gets so offended at every single thing and writes a, a thousand word essay to just make sure you know it. That's a person who, who raises the volume, who, who turns up the volume on fear and on worry and on stress and on anxiety When we know, when we really know who and whose we are, then we become people who can face the path ahead smiling. And we smile not because the forecast calls for clear skies and calm seas from here on out. 
We smile not because we are these ludicrously, blindly optimistic people in the face of the very real storms that life brews up sometimes. We smile not because we'll never be tempted again or because when we leave this sanctuary today, somehow, miraculously, people will have finally stopped trying to define us by that which we are not. No. We are people who smile Because we know that God is in the boat with us. Somehow, someway, God is in the boat with us. We know our identity. We have heard the sound of the genuine, and we have learned the answer to that question, Who am I? We are beloved. You are beloved. You know, we're in this, this time where some of us, we take on these spiritual practices during the season of Lent. Maybe you gave up alcohol or barbecue. I don't know how you do that, but... <laughs> some of us are, are taking on these, these Lenten disciplines, and, and I wonder if there's not a better one in this story. What if this Lent, each of us, we looked up above us and we, we inventoried those strings to which we have been attached? What if this Lent we, we cut that thread of fear finally? What if this Lent we unravel that rope of, of perfection for ourselves and that rope the world has hooked to us saying we got to be perfect all the time? What if we finally untied the cords of all those things that have defined us and have imprisoned our sense of self-worth for far too long? What if we cut them all? And instead, this Lent, let ourselves fall again into the hands of our gracious and loving God. What if we claim that identity as beloved and we let it change us? We let it change how we live this Lent. What if? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.